Welcome back, everybody. It's the long-awaited return of the Nets Gen Nats podcast. I am Tanner. I am here again with Alex, special guest this time. And Alex, got anything to say before we get started? Thanks to Half Street High Heat. Uh, yeah. yeah they, if you guys didn't know, we uh, did a collaboration with the guys over at Half Street High Heat. It was a great episode. My mic was quiet. I fixed that now. Obviously, the production quality here is higher than there. Let's go, baby. Podcast beef, <laughs> and we're less than a minute into this new episode. All right. Um, so, you know, part of the reason, as you may have noticed, that we haven't been uploading these episodes as much is that it is the off season. Um, not as much stuff happening in the realm of baseball, especially with our prospect guys, but the show always goes on. And that is with what league, Alex? The Arizona Fall League. Also, you're wrong. The show doesn't go on. Unless the couldn't, yeah, unless the, so the Arizona Fall League, he's talking about the <laughs> lockdown, which is an inevitable truth of this world, but we'll get there when we get there. So, the Arizona Fall League is a league that takes place in, I believe, California. Um, no, it's Montana, you're wrong, <laughs> it's in Arizona. And, um, I gotta be completely honest, I am not 100% sure about the specifics of the AZFL, but, um, they play about 91 games, apparently, and there's six teams. So, you know, just kind of go out there, and it's a chance for guys to get some time in, in the offseason. And a couple of nationals have been doing pretty hot out there, starting with our guy, Jatson Clough. He's a guy who we did not see at the major league level. I just confused my mind with someone else. Um, but he's been... Mm-hmm been doing pretty hot yeah uh jackson clough if i can find the page uh showed up in 22 games uh with the surprise how do you have a team name let me tell you i don't know how to pronounce he's a middle infielder sometimes plays sometimes plays third baseman at good size um six foot so 96 plate appearances he had pretty good season i know rbis are terrible stats but he had 14 of those a homer and sits doubles to tack onto that on 27 total hits. Hit uh, 342, 432, 456 with an 887 OPS. So these numbers aren't, I mean, I guess they are, but for a 22 game sample size, these numbers aren't really blow you away type yeah. numbers, but they were definitely a lot better than a lot of people might have expected out mm-hmm. of this guy. Yeah, uh, I just checked. It's pronounced Saguaros. Uh, I know I have a mispronunciation. Saguaros. Saguaros. Saguaro. Saguaro. I, I I, I'm, I I'm literally listening to Google, Google Google Translate right now. The cactus? Uh, Saguaro. What? Yes. Have you... Saguaro. The cactus. Saguaro. Dude, I have spent a lot of time in Arizona. My grandparents literally fuck? have a saguaro right outside of their yard. It's a saguaro. Oh my god. No. Google Translate is le- leading me wrong. They actually have a kind of cold hat, but... Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's the saguaros, just so we're aware. Okay. Saguaros. But... Uh, um yeah jackson clough had a cool diving play in one of the games uh three hit day one of his 22 games so there's some moments of brilliance that he had not brilliance but he was very solid in some of his games um and nothing really to write home about especially this early in a guy picked this late's career but um definitely a little bit of promise from clough and i like the I like the mentality to just kind of go out there and work for it, you know? Yeah. 
minor league players do not have it easy, um, mm-hmm. as is well known. Um, so for a guy like this, you know, trying to make it to the show, and he goes out to Arizona, and he just kind of does his best. And I mean, you know, if I had the chance to live in Arizona during the cold months instead of living in D.C., you know, I would definitely take that chance. So credit to him for being smarter than me there. Um, <laughs> but I think it's important, uh, you know, if you're a prospect like this, you need to take what chances you can get um, because the minor league machine is a pretty brutal one sometimes. Yeah. And guys come up and they get one chance and they go back down. So if you want to make that one chance as important or excuse me, as impactful as it can be, um, I think a good way to do that is by getting, you know, this sounds kind of trite, but, you know, practice makes perfect and you get a lot of practice even in the off season. I think the Arizona Fall League, especially when you like compare it to spring training, um, yes, while the games don't matter in, you know, terms of winning good World that series, mindset. Yeah. But not obviously not with that mindset, but there's a um there's a different mindset going into an Arizona Fall League because like with with spring training, guys getting cut left and right, and there's a lot of roster turnover. You look at like Gerardo Paro getting like an invite to spring training, and like Ugh. you know, someone had a spot that got taken away by Gerardo Parra that they thought That's they were gonna have. Yeah, so <laughs> you know, uh, there's just like a lot of like you got to play, you know, just so you, uh, cuts not the right word, but just so you don't stop being with the team in spring training, whereas with the Arizona Fall League, you know, once you're on the roster, you're there. So you can just go out and ball and not really have to worry about any trivial things or getting overtaken by like a 38 year old. Um, and it's easy to take merchant. It's easy to take you. You literally, you literally speak like you never got off Twitter, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I have, Um, it's been a minute. Uh, well, you know, as a fan, you know, most fans, pretty much all fans, don't really watch minor leagues. They watch the majors. They watch the big show. And it's easy to take for granted um, the the what it takes to get to the major leagues. Just, you have a guy like, you know, Mike Trout or Juan Soto. They spend a little bit of time in um, the minors. It reminds me of the story where I, I'm almost certain it was Juan Soto was, like, sleeping on a mattress on the floor, and someone told him to buy a bed for him, and he was like, nah, I'm going to be gone by the time that gets here. And then he got called <laughs> up, like, a week later. I think that yeah. was him. But we take for granted to get to there. A lot of these guys who are not generational talents, you know, it is not as easy as it, you know, seems to the naked eye. So for a guy like Clough to get out there and Cole Henry and Jason Rutledge, who we'll talk about in a minute, um, it's a good... Definitely a good thing, and just to see him draw out there and do well. Yeah. So speaking of those other players, as you may have heard me mention, Cole Henry uh, is a name who has really popped out for the Nats, has had a really, really strong uh, performance down in Arizona. Um, Only has one win, but that's a flawed stat, as we know. (laughs) A 332 ERA and a 3.79 runs average per nine which is a better stat than ERA. Um, I've heard some discourse about it, but it's basically all of the runs you have allowed divided by the number of innings you pitched, um, and it's just a more conclusive way to mm-hmm. you know, do this stuff. Yeah. Um, it has not given up much. 19, inning pi- excuse me, 19 innings pitched, only given up 12 hits, 
30 strikeouts in 19 innings pitch, which is very strong. And got a 1.105 whip, mm-hmm. less than one home run per nine, about four watts per nine, and about 14.2 strikeouts per nine. Yeah. So that's kind of been the strong suit that we're seeing from Cole Henry is that strikeout ability. Um, and in a prospect system that has been and still is very pitcher heavy, but has not really yielded a lot of great results. It's good to see a guy like Cole Henry, who has, you know, been a name that we've known for a while. It's good to see him really start to step up. Yeah. Power pitcher, basically power pitcher with a decent curve. Um, so comparable to Josiah Gray, I'd say. I mean, obviously not skill wise yet. Um, we'll wait to see how that pans out. But as you said, you know, the K's per nine, 14.2, that's, that's incredible. Um, even even with the competition that he's facing, to be where he is against those guys, that's uh, very promising. Unlike uh, someone else who is at a at the at the Arizona Fall League um, for the Nets. Is there a reference I'm missing here? Yes, Jackson Rutledge. Oh well, he has been. He wasn't ter- okay. Yeah, okay. He, he wasn't. He wasn't I think terrible. Henry set a high bar. Um, yeah, but yeah. And the thing with Henry is that he is actually not really outperforming his total um, uh, career stats in the minors in uh, Wilmington and the Florida Complex League. Um, you know, with that, he has about the same strikeouts per nine. At the same strikeouts per walk, uh, watts per nine. And I keep using the per nine stats because I really do think that is the best way to mm-hmm. judge a player. You know, hits per nine, home runs per nine, watts per nine, strikeouts per nine. Like, I guess yeah. nine is just kind of a benchmark we use. Yeah. But um, that, if you throw nine innings, you can compare to other guys, basically. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. He's been doing pretty well, obviously. And like I mentioned, um, the Nationals have been very, very pitcher heavy. And mm-hmm. the positive results for that have not really shown. Yeah. Like a guy like Eric Fetty, who has <laughs> not been as good as you think he had, or as, thing, as good as he should have been. Um, Austin Voth, who was a later round draft pick, but still. Um, Seth Romero has not looked too hot, even in the minors. It's yeah, it's, it's a lot of failure. And Cole Henry, as I previously mentioned, he's a guy who has spent some time, you know, with the squad. And so to see him pan out in a way that a lot of other guys haven't is got to be good to feel for the uh, front office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but <laughs> who are you talking about? Let's. Jackson Rutledge. Jackson Rutledge. I got that little flag pennant up in my tab. That's the baseball reference sign. So the first thing that you notice with Jackson Rutledge is that he is he's big. He's six foot eight, two forty five. He could call you know lineman. He could be a center. <laughs> Dude, I don't know how you get that big. You end up in baseball, bro. Go get on the court. <laughs> um, but he uh, was drafted in the first round. Of the 2019 draft, um, and he's been kind of 
been not shaky. A, not not a disappointment, but he's had a lot of setbacks. He yeah. had uh, multiple injuries. We talked about that on a prior episode. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, got like a blister that would not yeah. go away. And, Ooh, and if you've blister. ever had a blister, you know the feeling. Blister um, got back, and then the blister reemerged after a couple of innings. So is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, that sucks. So his Arizona fall lead splits have been much less preferable. Um, almost exactly the same number of innings pitched, 19 for Henry and 19.1 for Rutledge. But in that time, he's given up 16 more hits, um, nine more total runs, uh, seven, or no, excuse me, eight more earned runs. And he's doing that with a 6.98 ERA and a 7.91 uh, runs allowed per nine as opposed to a 332 and a 379 in those categories. So for a guy who was listed in um, MLB Pipeline as the Nationals' third best prospect, that is not the right direction you want to see your guy go. No, no. and especially for a guy that has an ETA of 2022 to be where he is, um, you'd like to see him be further up, obviously. You'd like to see him... You know, be in double A consistently, be in triple A, um, like Cavalli is, since everyone gets on me about that. But um, if he. Not the pronunciation, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, it's not really comparable to Cole Henry because Cole Henry was so good this uh, fall league. But I mean, if you want to take away ERA, um, strikeouts were promising, had a start where I believe he. Uh, had like seven strikeouts. Um, in... he had this one pitch, this god, ah, it was like a sinker or a slider or something that set Nat's Twitter on fire. Yeah, completely dropped off the map, and everyone was like, "This is what we want from you. Like, just keep this up. Why can't you yeah. just do this consistently?" So, I also think it's got to be tough for Rutledge because you know when you're the, f- it's a little less evident in baseball because the prospect system is so fleshed out over a number of years. But mm-hmm. when you're a first-round pitch of the team, you are kind of, to some extent, a one of the faces of that team's revival yeah. or just of their future in general. And for Rutledge to get here earlier than a guy like Cavalli and immediately be thrown into a secondary position relating to him, it ha- it does have to be tough. Like, yeah, Mentally, you want to be better and to go out there and not give a performance consistently which matches that level is got to be like well how long until this this team moves on from me because if you have a guy if you're a rutledge and you know someone drafted in 2017 starts out performing you by a lot it's like all right well yeah. this sucks but you know he's had two more years he has a longer longer tenure like they're going to be since they've been patient with him they'll probably be patient with me but yeah you have a guy like cavalli who immediately goes out there and is a flamethrower like mm-hmm. your time, the the clock is ticking on you. Like you're yeah. on the clock now. Worth noting that this seven strikeouts were over three and a third innings. So he got a lot of people in a very short amount of time, but also a lot of base traffic during that. So like you got to balance it between you know yes you're getting strikeouts, which is great because you know nothing can happen, but you got to balance that with how many people I'm letting on base because if you can you know get. You just got to get outs. That's the, that's the really the job of the pitcher. So um, if he can start getting some like soft contact and getting pitches to, you know, result in like easy ground balls or pop flies, he could be nasty. Yeah. And 
you know, we're two guys on a podcast. The National's front office has millions of dollars at their disposal. Yeah. I trust their judgment, mm-hmm. um, but after a certain amount of time, it the, the clock does start to tick. Like I said, you know, you're mm-hmm. running out of time. I have always had a lot of faith in Rutledge and have given him a lot of leniency, mostly, and this is selfish, but mostly because he's really tall and I like tall baseball <laughs> players. I just think they're really weird. Like, there's that picture of Aaron Judge standing next to Altuve from a couple of years back, and it's like, how are these guys playing the same sport? How are they in the same league? Um, so, yeah. Next, I would love to discuss um, a certain former prospect, MLE prospect, Tampa Bay Rays prospect, who has... Uh, you know, shown shown out at the major league level and been rewarded with a handsome payday. Yeah, it's Wander Franco. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really want to talk about Wander that much, but Franco, Franco, Franco. Yes, Franco has been in the news uh, as of yesterday, I believe, um, for the gigantic contract he just signed. Except in baseball terms, really not that gigantic. Um, mm-hmm. Twelve years. 185 million guaranteed, um, worth a maximum of 223 million uh, for about for 12 years, like I said. Um, and briefly, before we discuss how this relates to Juan Soto, I would just like to point out that there are a lot of people who are coming down on, <clears throat> excuse me, on coming down on Franco and his agent for the deal, saying. Uh, you went too early. You jumped the gun. You could have gotten a lot more mm-hmm. money, and that is true. Like that is actually correct. He yeah. Definitely, he waits another year, and now his argument for a massive payday goes up way, way more yeah, than yeah. it is already. But, um, I mean, two hundred twenty-three million dollars. That's like, like after a, after a certain amount yeah. of time, <laughs> you go at, from yeah. Once you hit a certain million. Million of millions of dollars, you're set for life. And if, you're think, in, if you're in the ten figures, it's like, all right. I mean, this is eleven figures. Wait, one eight five zero 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 nine <laughs> figures. What yeah, are you talking about eleven figures is like tens of billions. Um. Anyways, now you're pretty much set. And yeah. not to mention, he's twenty right now. Which, uh, funny to note that his contract is the largest contract ever given to someone with less than a year of service time. Talk about making your mark quickly. Um, but it leaves him as a free agent when he's 32. So yeah. he has... There there could be another lengthy payday in there. Like That is... Yeah. Especially in baseball, players like to last till they're 38, 39, 40. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got five or six years of a contract left if he you know keeps up his level. Yeah, a guy who played less than half of a season in terms of games, has just shattered, uh, well, not shattered any records, but, I mean, shattered. Well, uh, yeah, he oh, shattered. No, no, he a, did shatter records. He had that gigantic um, hitting streak, or on-base streak. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking, he shattered a record, probably for the most money given out by the Tampa Bay Rays to one player. Oh, God, it has to be. And then shattered a record for least amount of games to, like, receive a... 100 million plus contract extension. He has played 70 games with the Rays in 2021. He wasn't even caught up, as you said, for an entire year, so less than a full year of service time, which probably is a record for money. Um, but, I mean, as you said, 
probably sold himself short um, in terms of what he could be getting in a couple of or could have gotten in a few years. But I mean, 182 million, potentially uh, 223. No one is complaining about that money, especially Wonder Franco. Um, if you're 20 and you can make that money, go ahead and do it. You know, you get, you get paid nine figures, like I said, to play baseball. Like, you're crazy, man. You're, you're already winning. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I make 10 butts off this podcast, I'll call it a success. Um, but someone who will enjoy their payday whenever it comes is the man in red, Juan Soto. Because that dude is due for the single largest contract of all time. Most um, projections and metrics have him listed at $500 million or more, which would be the largest in history by a mile. What was it? Was it Trout? Was that largest? He got four. He got 430, I think. Uh, 34.10. Whatever. Trout was up there somewhere. Um, yeah. Juan is due uh, for a payday. For a bet. Bets. Bets currently has it according to longest contract extensions. Really? Oh no, uh, that was, that, I, that's extension, not. Yeah, no trout. Yeah, that. trout has the biggest value, four twenty six uh, over twelve years. God, I cannot imagine having that much money. <laughs> um, point is, Juan Soto is a guy who has shown that he is the best uh, player in the mm-hmm. major league, or in, excuse me, in major league baseball, um, and. There's kind of two sides. There's really like three sides to the story. So side one is uh, Ted and Mark Lerner. I'm not sure which one is kind of like the actual running the show guy. The Lerners. Lerners. Censor yeah. their name if you type it out. Because they, you know, if you're going to let Bryce Harper walk, I was mad. I mean, hey, we won a title. Like, go right ahead. Um, you let Anthony Rendon walk in favor of Steven Strasburg, and it's looking like a questionable decision, you cannot let another homegrown guy walk. You can't do it. Yeah, you can't. And the contract extension tots with Soto, if there are any, obviously haven't gone anywhere. And that brings us to point number two of this triangle, which is one Scott Boris. Uh, if you're not aware, Boris owns Boris Corp, founded Boris Corp, um, which is a agency. Um, and... One of the clients is Juan Soto. Now, Boris has a habit of getting his clients gigantic paydays. And the way to do that is to get the player to free agency. So, now it's not ideal for Nationals fans, but you just know. You just know that (laughs) Boris wants Soto to get to free agency in 2026. Because you send a guy to free agency and what happens? Now, if he's... If it's 2023 and Nationals are trying to give him a contract extension, I love it. Except it's only one team doing the bidding there. They can essentially control the market. But you yeah. put Soto as a free agent, especially if he gets better than what he is right now, um, which is impossible to think. <laughs> All of a sudden, there are 30 teams, probably 31 if they do like some expansion stuff. Um, there are 30 teams all driving this guy's price up, and that goes from no, four eighty million to six fifty million, and yeah. I do not think that's an exaggeration. Yeah, he's he's gonna get paid handsomely. An interesting tweet that came out after the Franco uh, signing, actually before the ink dried on Franco's uh, deal, the from Hector Gomez, who I believe was first on the Franco the Franco uh, signing, that said a uh, possible contract extension to Juan Soto 
could double the total amount guaranteed by the Rays to shortstop Wander Frank over a 12 to 13 year range. Um, while this, the doubling of uh, the 185 million that Franco's going to get isn't any news to us. Um, you know, while that he's going to get paid way more than 360 million or 390 million or whatever the um, the the whatever 185 times two is uh, what the wordage on that tweet could be leading to is a potential Boris uh, Soto learner talking to each other if a uh, possible contract extension by the Nationals um, means that they're talking right now and that they could be leading to something in the offseason. Um, I'd be very happy. Um, obviously, I'm sure Tanner would be happy. Um, Every single that, Nationals fan. And, and really, any Nationals fan. I think uh, someone on Twitter, I think it was OPT, said, um, it's like, we could sign Adam Eden, and we'd be happy so long as we got Soto. All right, let's not um, go too crazy here. No, nah, and listen, I'd agree with him, because the team's going to suck anyway. <laughs> but, um, I mean, if if the possible contract extension it means that they are talking and like deep in talks uh i'd be a very happy panda yeah um but you know i mentioned a triangle and how many sides are there to a triangle alex four nothing there's three i mentioned the learners and i mentioned boris but obviously the third is juan soto himself and i have to imagine even with people who get paid a lot of money to keep juan soto happy telling him stay happy there has to be a mental aspect of seeing everyone else get paid and wanting to get paid 2026 is a long way away it's 2021 we still got thanksgiving like it's not even december (laughs) 2026 is a ways away and he's arbitration eligible next year so his contract will be you know messed with or whatever um but you know i bet he wants some money and i this goes against everything I know as a Nats fan, but I just have to imagine somewhere in my heart that the learners have the ability to have their heart grow three sizes and just pay the man. Like, there's no way they don't understand what they have on their hands here. I just cannot watch Juan Soto walk yeah. around in pinstripes and do it. In any pinstripes. I mean, obviously, New York pinstripes would be bad. Listen, Casual. I know. But, but would you like to see... Juan Soto with the Mets in orange. Actually, that'd be kind of sick. Juan Soto with the Rockies. That's the only pinstripes I'll allow. And even then, (laughs) I'd be extremely, extremely sad and disappointed. I'd probably cry myself to sleep for at least two weeks after Soto goes to Colorado. Because then they risk his career. Yeah, but Juan Soto hit a home run 520 at Coors once. I know. Imagine if he he actually had a decent guy pitching to him during that home run derby. So... Um, to kind of shift gears, uh, we have not talked since the Braves World Series win. That was because we all went into a state of hibernation um, after that godforsaken team won. Um, but a little little tidbit I wanted to talk about was um, the difference between, or not not really the difference, but the coexisting of prospects and acquisitions um, as far as competitors go. So. The Braves, when you think of acquisitions, it was their outfield guys, which is mm-hmm. Josh Peterson, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, and Adam Duvall. 
mm-hmm. all of whom had huge contributions to the team. Rosario was NLCS MVP. Solaire was World Series MVP. Peterson poured some cool pearls, and Adam Duvall <laughs> continued to rake. Um, and then you look at that in comparison to their prospects, and unless there's people I'm forgetting, the only two major quote-unquote prospects they had were Austin Riley, who played really well, but is far enough out of um, mm-hmm. the farm system that I don't really think you can call him yeah, a prospect really anymore. He's a major leaguer. Yeah. And Ian Anderson, who was, you know, I guess kind of whatever. Um, so I just fi- kind of find an interesting that we set up a lot of these guys to be, um, you know, guys who will save this team. Kibera Ruiz is going to save the team. You know, there's our quota <laughs> of one Kibera mention. Um, but it is kind of interesting, and it really shouldn't be, but it kind of is that um, the players who are going to affect your team are not the prospects like tomorrow, but it's going to be the prospects like four or five years from now, like Ozzy Albies, like Ronald Acuna Jr., um, and just kind of all that stuff. And so I don't actually really know what I'm trying to get across for this point. I just find it interesting that the Braves were able to mesh the su- success of um, some of their farm system with guys like Albies and Anderson, and also combine that with um, strong, aggressive, uh, high-risk, or excuse me, low-risk, high-reward guys like Duvall and Rosario and Soler. Yeah, and I mean, even when you want to continue like outfield prospect talks, um, I think you know, top prospect Christian Pache, he got a few at bats um, over the regular season, I believe. You know, was in the lineup early in the season. Um, only had seventy or so plate appearances, but um, just guys like that who are like. You know, supposed to be the next best thing. Um, obviously they had Acuna, Acuna, and um, you know, guys like that. But when he went down, everyone thought that team was done, and then they go out acquire, you know, timely outfield pieces in you know Peterson, Soler, um, Rosario, and then they go on this massive run. That home run that Soler hit, by the way. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. My son, my son was off. I was eating dinner, and I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, oh my lord. Uh, this, with the sound on it, sounded like <laughs> like a nuke just went off. Yeah. Um, and I like that's something that you know I love prospects. I started a podcast about prospects. Like I'm a psycho like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I choose. To, I'm so hardcore of a baseball fan. I choose to talk about baseball players who that aren't, aren't even professional. Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Like, if you are going to be a team that competes now, you need your prospects to succeed. But guys who are good now are going to be the best to win now. And I know it sounds self-explanatory, but it's the reason that the Mets did not do much this year. They yeah. had young guys come up, but who did they get at the trade deadline? They got Javi Baez and Squat. Yeah, it, and it's why I really, 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 like, as much as I hate to admit it, and I guess it doesn't really matter now that they're gone. But I actually, genuinely do think that the Mets could have been division champions, playoff contenders, and they just kind of sat around at the deadline, and it was the death of them. They did nothing for the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, I think a lot of that has to do with lacking a certain pitcher 
Jacob Degrom, but oh, yes, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, no one a fall off that because Degrom only pitches every five days, so even then, a fall off that big is uh, not good, and uh, certainly speaks to how lazy I guess uh, that front office was. Which we can oh go on a God. whole. Um, I have to pull this up now. Yeah, I was about to say uh, the. The, the Steve Cohen thing? Yeah, the Steve Cohen thing. Yeah. So if you – this does not relate to anything at all, but if <laughs> you were not aware, today after Stephen Matz, um, who is not really that good of a pitcher, by the way, so I'm, <laughs> this whole situation is kind of funny because Matz got $44 million for routinely getting served by the Nationals. Um, he signed with the Cardinals uh, four years, $44 million, like I said. Um, and so Steve Cohen – the owner of the Mets, the owner, dude, owns one of the most profitable baseball teams in the entire world, goes, I'm not happy this morning. I've never seen such unprofessional behavior exhibited by a player's agent. I guess words and promises don't matter on Twitter. Yeah. And it, when I read that, I was like actually in a state of shock. I'm like, I cannot believe he actually said that. I, I, I guess words and promises don't matter. Like, dude... You do not get to multiple billion dollars with yep. words and promises. Like, and um, Rosenthal tweeted out uh, the response um, from the the uh, agent of um, Matts, and it was like, "Yeah, I don't know what they're mad about." I told him that he loves New York. But this was a better option. Like I don't yeah. understand what Cohen was mad about, and it's it's kind of stuff like that, like front office ineptitude, and they have this search where, oh, here's Billy Bean. No, not Billy Bean. Here's David Stearns, not David Stearns. Yeah. And it's stuff like that that makes me laugh because, you know, they're bad. And yeah. it's fun as a division rival to watch your division rival suck. I can't wait for in a couple of weeks or however long it'll take. Um when Marcus Stroman signs with like the Mariners or something like that. I want Marcus the, Stroman to stop talking. The, hey, well, you will want him to stop talking until he's a national. And then you're oh, well, tell yes, him to, to talk his stuff. Um, but wh- wherever he goes, I just can't wait for that metric meltdown um, to occur on Steve Cohen's Twitter page. Because uh, the... What was yeah the unprofessional behavior exhibited by Marcus Stroman will be very unprofessional, um, to put it in Steve Cohen's own words. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I have much else to say on that. Stroman had a tweet today. Ah, yeah, it was with Paul Seedwall. Oh, oh here we go. No, no, no. So you know Saris, who's some MLB guy, evidently. Um, was talking about how Steven Matz needs velocity more than anyone on his fastball because the shape isn't great. Uh, basically, how velocity declines with age. And Stroman um, replies, Velocity decline is a massive problem for most pitchers in our generation. I'm glad to be in a league of my own. Sliders, split changes, sinkers, two-seam, cutter, four-seam, curveball, <laughs> etc. I'm betting heavy, heavy on myself against all others over the next five to seven years. You'd think this is like Nolan Ryan. Yeah. And I like I really really hate people who come down on guys for their personality, especially athletes. Because like, what do you care if an athlete's like this? But it's just insufferable. It's like 
is and I don't know. Maybe I sound jealous, but this dude is an MLB player and he's out here on Twitter, like talking himself up like that. Like, bro, just sometimes it's better to just go out and play. You're not not a fan of your one of the rare Duke alumns that you're not a big fan uh, and, of. And look, I I I, don't know, I might just be talking out of my own butt here. Like, he <laughs> is a good pitcher, and it's good to have self confidence. But it just se- it just seems rude, almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking for the sake of extending this runtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. The Nationals' top 10 prospects on the pipeline. We just wanted to give a quick rundown of each one. Um, actually, actually never mind. Um, I don't know if I already mentioned this, but our boy TJ White got into the top 30. He is our 30th-ranked prospect. Yeah, you he mentioned, mentioned that a little bit, but worth have, mentioning yeah. again, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways... Also, I uh, I just saw that Jackson Clef is number 19. I think I might have said he wasn't even ranked. Um, I don't know. Such is life. Um, so our top 10 goes as follows. Aldo Ramirez, Dalen Lyle, and this is from 10 to 1. Um, Yasel Antuna, Cole Henry, Gerardo Carrillo, Armando Cruz, Andre Lara, Jackson Rutledge, Brady House, and Cade Cavalli. Starting with a boy at number 10, that's Aldo Ramirez. He was acquired from the Red Sox in the Kyle Schwarber trade. Yep. Um, was a very, very strong pitcher in uh, the Dominican Summer League and then the New York Penn League. Um, he was, he's very young. He was the youngest qualifier in the New York Penn League. Um, MLB has him ranked pretty well. Uh, his changeup is his best pitch, they say. Um, and so that's you know, just a guy to look out for. He's a lot of these guys are very long ETAs because a lot of them were guys who we um acquired in the trades over the summer. Uh, yeah, so number nine yeah. is Dalen Lyle. Um, Lyle was, I believe, our second round pick. Yep, uh, this past year he was a very he's a very strong pure hitter. Um, and he has a habit of um, really beating very strong pitchers like mm-hmm. Josh Hartle. Um, MLB Pipeline is telling me that he was uh, one of the best lefties in the prep league. Um, and so he has a habit of, you know, just doing stuff like that. He helped his team win the state tournament. Um, and so, yeah, Dalen Lyle. You want to grab Antuna? Yasel Antuna. Uh, 21st overall international prospect uh in the 2017 or in the 2016 signing period uh when i believe he did come on to the nationals um out of the dominican obviously uh a pipeline for the pipeline i guess for the nationals um obviously juan soto probably sparked a lot of that um but you know i believe he got added to the 40 man uh recently so He's going to be Rule 5 protected, uh, will be able uh, to be with the Nats uh, throughout spring training, if we do get a spring training at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, good hitter, great arm, should be um, good on that left side of the infield, which desperately needs help, especially after the departure of a uh, certain Trey Turner. We're going to talk about what the Nationals are going to do with third base sometime next episode. We're also going to talk about uh, Christian Vaquero. Quero? Um, let me find his 
Shin Vaquero, um, who is the top a uh, top two um, international prospect of one of these upcoming classes. He's very young, um, but he's you know the Nationals have had a very strong presence in that. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Industry, I guess. Um, and so it's looking like they're going to do it again because Vaquero is a very, very pure hitter. We're also looking to get that Gutierrez guy, Anthony Gutierrez, I believe. Yeah. Um, but you will never know unless you watch our next episode of Nets Gen Nets Podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, number seven yeah. is Cole Henry, who we already talked about. Strong pitcher, strong fall league in A+. Looking to come up. Or excuse me, A+. High A. I just kind of read the thing. Um, good size, got a lot of good attributes. I think he's going to be in the major leagues this next year. Mm-hmm. Gerardo Carrillo was one of the four prospects in the uh, Turner trade, Turner Scherzer trade, um, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, Carrillo, not as big physically, um, only 5'10", 170. He could be me, but uh, has a very strong fastball. It can get up to 100. Um and that's listed as his best pitch. So I think he's a guy who we should definitely be watching out for. You know, when you're in a trade with um, Iber Ruiz and uh, Josiah Gray, you're, you're not one of those two. You might be kind of forgotten about, but don't forget about Carrillo. He's someone who looks to be very good. And then number five is Armando Cruz. And I got to admit, this is probably the guy I know the least about on this list. Really? I really don't know that much. About I Armando love Cruz. some Armando Cruz. Well, I'll let you take this one. He was a Dominican signing, but you know, let's yeah, right Dominican ahead. signing. I believe he set a record. Um, let me just check this real quick. It says he has signed. Uh, wait, what? Oh yeah, he tied Yasel Antuna for the biggest signing bonus for an international yeah. prospect in Nationals history. Yes, another Dominican guy setting records with the Nationals in terms of contracts. Um, you know, but small infielder. Uh, I believe he was the top. In, or top Dominican in his class the year he came um, or came into Washington uh, or the Washington system. But I mean, good fielder, good arm or good arm, great fielder, uh, middle infield or shortstop primarily, but I believe he could uh, really go anywhere in the infield um, besides first base, but um, small um, and not <laughs> necessarily known for his bat. Um, but, once again, another guy that's just like, okay, you know, here's the <laughs> Lord knows we need the corner infielders. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're set um, on the outfielders, but <laughs> yeah. So number four and number three, uh, we already talked about Rutledge at three. So Andrew Lara, another pitcher, if you can believe that, a right-handed pitcher. Um, he is from the uh, Venezuelan area. I think uh, no, he actually is just Venezuelan. Um, <laughs> He was the number 16 international prospect uh, in the 2019-2020 period and then signed with the Nats. Um, he is a guy who has been kind of floating around the farm system but has gained a lot, um, but he just needs more experience. He's still with the Fred Nats. Um, good fastball, good curveball. He is able to control his pitch as well, but he's a guy who just needs more time. He's, got, he's only 18. That's the great thing about these guys who are so young. Like they've got a lot of raw attributes, but they've got so much time to unlock it. If you're a guy like Jackson Rutledge, though, who is now 22, time's yeah. running out. Mm-hmm. So we're two and one. 
uh, Brady House is number two, and I love Eason Brady House. Yeah, dude is one of the more impressive prospects I've seen in a long time. We got him eleventh overall in the draft. Um, thank God for the Mets, Mets should have had Rocker. Mets could have <laughs> had uh, Brady House. I took Kumar, and then he didn't even say with them. Um, but he Brady House was very very. Uh, highly Very. ranked coming out of uh, or, or coming into the draft. A lot of him, a lot of people projected him going top five, six, seven, and he fell to eleven. And if you're the Nationals, you take that without a second thought. Um, and he, as we mentioned in the past episode, just stepped in and immediately yeah. started raking. He had a grand slam like his second game, I think. Yeah, a lot of homers. Um, he's got good physical attributes. He sits for two fifteen, um, and He's a guy who I'm excited for because the Nationals have had so many pitching prospects, and it's like, oh my god, <sighs> when does it end? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just excited to see uh, House continue to rake. He didn't really get that long um, because of the draft. It's just, you know, I wanted him to see him in a full season because I really think he can do what Trevally did and skyrocket. Because Cavalli ended up in Triple A after his first season, so I think that's something House to do. Plus and um, Sade Savali, excuse me, Cade Cavalli. <laughs> I was doing my best Alex impression. <laughs> Cavalli, oh god, I don't even need. I'm kind of Cavalli'd out, you know. I've talked about this guy so much. Um, Very good guy, pitcher, yeah. pitcher in Triple A. Spent most of his um, uh. Second rounder, or excuse me, spent, spent, ah, spent <laughs> most of his time in Double A um, after being a first rounder, and then kind of got up to Triple A at the end of the season. And uh, here's this little nugget I'm seeing in the pipeline description: <laughs> He turned down the Braves as a yeah. 29th rounder. Did not know that. Definitely could have been a Brave. So that's good stuff. Um, that's two. That's our top two prospects are both players. That have been or were saved from the grasps <laughs> connected of, uh, to the division rivals. Yeah. Least. So, um, Cavalli is a very solid pitcher. Um, had a 3 3 sits ERA in 21, um, in 123 innings pitched. That, that is 2021, 123 innings pitched. Um, 175 strikeouts with a whip of 1.2 sits. Um, I've talked a lot about Trevally. There's not much about him that needs to be said that hasn't been said. I definitely think we're seeing him up near up here next year, uh, one way or another, but especially if we are somehow making some sort of playoff run. Yeah. Um, he's going to be a guy that the Nationals are going to see. So that is your top 10 prospects. And a lot of these guys who are not in the top 10 are going to be guys you're seeing. You know, the last start of the 2021 season was by Jonah Doan. Going Adon? Yoan. Adon, Adon. It's not Yoan, what? The the J, right? That's Juan. There's no U, bro. No, oh it, no, God. no, you're wrong here. It, this incorrect. I'm, I'm um, uh, but I'm looking at the baseball reference. It doesn't, uh, it tells me how to pronounce his last name. Oh my God. I think it's Joan. Anyways, um, Anyways, Adon's guy, we're going to see again. I think we'll see Seth Romero again, Donovan Casey, Mitchell Parker. These are all guys who are in the um, 
Nets farm system and are not top 10 prospects. So just because they're not top 10 in the prospect rankings doesn't mean they're not good. Um, and so overall, I'm just excited to see how this farm system fares in a year where we really have nothing to lose because yeah. it's not like we're going to be that competitive as there we are mentioned no last goals. episode. Yeah. Just find, use this as a retool year. You have two goals. Find out how good you can be and give Juan Soto a blank check. That's, those yes. are the two goals. That's a successful year. <laughs> Alex, what day is tomorrow? Uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, oh, it's Thursday. Yeah. Um, tomorrow is some Thursday, Thursday where we happen it's, to have a big It's food. a very special day. It's November 25th, guys. November 25th is very special. And it's November 25th. It only happens once a year. That's true. Um, it's the day where the government be. forces us to watch Detroit Lions. Um, so a lot of stuff happens tomorrow. But I wanted to round this episode out by discussing um, Thanksgiving foods. So we're going to start, you know, when you discuss something critically, you start at the top. And what's yeah. the top of Thanksgiving food? It's turkey. And here's my take on turkey. I, you know, it's it's boring. It's not necessarily bad. Like, I like dark meat, especially and yeah. like, kind of like yeah. skin stuff. And turkey's kind of fun. Actually, I guess it's probably not fun when you're making it. I've never made a Thanksgiving <laughs> meal. But um, it's kind of fun just for how much of a process it is. But yeah. overall, I mean, it's just kind of boring. And I mean, I live in Virginia. You live in Maryland, right? Yes. Virginia has Virginia ham. Maryland has... Virginia ham, I guess. Um, we don't. We don't do ham. I hate eat, ham. Oh, that's so weird. Eat ham. ham. Is Who likes turkey? ham? I love ham. Ham's disgusting. Ham is fantastic. Turkey is just boring. Like, there's no real flavor, and it's just meh. Yes, but you dunk gravy on turkey, especially you if that gravy is coming from too. the bird. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> No, nah, listen, we gotta we, social network. That's forced cannibalism right oh, there. Yeah. Pieces of chicken uh. to the other chicken, and sooner or later, I'm getting accused of forced cannibalism. Um, nah, nah, turkey is turkey's S tier. I don't care what you say. Uh, turkey is like solid C tier at best. You want to know what is nah. S tier? The only S tier Thanksgiving meal on three. One, two, three, cranberry Pumpkin sauce. Now uh, it's cranberry sauce. Listen, uh, I listen, I personally. Never found the appeal of cranberry sauce, but if you like cranberry sauce, it's just so good. It's just consistently good, and it's so. Uh, you gotta make it. It, it no no that that's what I'm trying to say. It's so diverse. If you get the homemade kind, you know, like you actually make it yourself, like if it's fire, it bangs. Or yeah. you can get the stuff straight out of a can, and it bangs. Like you should if there's something that no it doesn't it doesn't bang it it more like wiggles and like like, yeah um no i love cranberry sauce i eat so much cranberry sauce at uh, thanksgiving (laughs) the rolls if we just want to kind of run down the list rolls are always going to be good stuffing i um, talked a lot of trash on but i've never actually had stuffing um it's overrated as hell but it's all right mashed potatoes i've i used to hate potatoes fun fact i have delicious I have grown to really enjoy potatoes, so I'm going to be having a lot more mashed potatoes at this mashed, meal then. If they're made right, mashed potatoes are delicious. Our school, right? Our school, for some reason, gives mashed potatoes every couple of days, and that that stuff is so clunky. I don't know how they manage, but there's like, <laughs> That's how there's not like to a make shell. It right. There's a shell on mashed potatoes, and you can like turn the thing over, and it sticks. That's, 
anyway. Uh, well, that's what you get for eating stool food. I eat it too. It's the circular free. pizza slaps. Um, I don't know what else is there at the dinner table. Mac and cheese. There's been a lot of contention over the existence of mac and cheese at the Thanksgiving table. Um, I, don't have I never remember if we do that or not, but I love mac and cheese, so I'll take any chance I can get. Um, like green beans or asparagus or some other kind of uh, vegetable like that. No, there are better options, but I mess with beans. Um, <laughs> green beans, that is. What else is at Thanksgiving? Gravy's awesome. Gravy. Uh, what else is there? Stuffing potatoes. Well, well, I mean, I talked about it, but or I said it was the S tier food, but pumpkin pie. That is true, but pie, pie in I general. Don't know. Pumpkin pie is not a top two pie, in my opinion. Oh, I'm taking apple pie and cherry pie. Uh, you see, that's the thing, because it's like weird. Like a hot, fresh apple pie is like a it's unbeaten. Tier. It's unbeaten. But like when the pie sits right and like it's not warm. It, the texture is weird. The texture is like irredeemable. Oh, but pumpkin pie texture isn't weird. No, it isn't. Pumpkin pie tastes like pumpkin avocado. What? It has the same texture. Well, well, if you like guacamole, which I do, I don't like guacamole. What? People who like avocado are nasty. I mean, I don't like like avocado when you like slice it and like put it on toast. I always thought the avocado toast trend was kind of weird. But like chips and guac, I, we've gone completely off the rails here. But that's a top three food. Period. Oh God, I hate. Why would you spend another two dollars for a thing that sucks? Ugh. For, All right. I mean, I, don't get me started on avocado. It's nine thirty-two right now. It'll be at least eleven thirty-two when I'm finished. The avocado. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. This is yep. episode nine. I'm pretty sure. Um, appreciate you guys for sticking with us through the hiatus. We cannot promise an exact uh, recording schedule for the foreseeable future, but we definitely want to be getting episodes out there There's more news. often than we have <laughs> when stuff happens. Does yeah. kind of hit the fall league? There's no real winter league. Um, yeah. So, well, again, appreciate you guys for that. Go check out the Half Street High Heat collab that is on their channel. They're available on Spotify and Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, go check out our past episodes. Follow the Twitter account at NextGenNatsPod. That is at NextGenNatsPod. And we'll see you again next time. Appreciate, help. appreciate it, guys. Have a nice yep. day. Have a nice Bye. night. Afternoon. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, bye.